The mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. Okay, so trying to give your brain a command to shut up is as impactful as trying to give your heart a command to stop beating. It does not work. So let's stop using it as the marker for success. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. So what I'm going to be talking about today is how you can use your meditation practice to help you not only change the world, right? To not only leave this planet better than you found it, but even better, have a ball while you're doing it. Doesn't that sound amazing? Like who doesn't want to leave this planet better than we found it and also have a hell of a good time on the way? Because so far that I know it's a hundred percent death rate. Now you talk to people like Naveen, you talk to people like Ray Dalio, they might think that this is going to change in our lifetime, that maybe we'll outsmart death in our generation. But so far it's a hundred percent death rate. From the moment the sperm hits the egg, we are hurtling towards the grave. So we might as well have a good time while we're hurtling towards the grave. And what if we leave this planet better than we found it? My mom is here with me and she always told me to leave every room better than I found it. That means you might want to tidy up. That means energetically it's brighter when you leave it than when you came in. And so let's do the same thing with the planet. So as Jason said, I'm Emily Fletcher. I am the founder of Ziva Meditation. I'm the creator of Ziva Online and recently Ziva Kids. I've taught over 50,000 people how to meditate on their own and also how to use these tools to get better at life. Because as Vishen said earlier, I believe that we don't meditate to get good at meditation. We meditate to get good at life. So what exactly does that mean? Yes, it means better sex. Yes, it means better immune system. Yes, it means better sleep. Yes, it means making more money. All of that is true. But really, truly, to me, getting good at life is not just about the selfish things that meditation can do for us. To me, getting good at life is being so tapped into your mission, so crystal clear about what nature put you on this planet for, that every day feels like an opportunity to share your gifts with the world. That every day you feel like nature is using you as a vessel to deliver your fulfillment to the world. So let me elaborate on this a little bit. Many of us, before we really commit to a meditation practice, go through life, um, what I lovingly refer to as a bag of need, right? That we're going through and being like, uh, will this job make me happy? Will this person make me happy? Will this money fulfill me? Will this house fulfill me? So we're a bag of need looking to be fulfilled. But once we really commit to a daily meditation practice, and I'm going to talk about the different styles of meditation and and give you some pro tips for how you can really optimize your practice in this session. But once you dive into a legit everyday, I would even argue twice a day practice, what happens is that you transition from being a bag of need looking to be fulfilled and you turn yourself into fulfillment looking for need. You turn yourself into bliss dopamine, serotonin, looking for outlets for that fulfillment. And y'all, here's the news. People want to sleep with happy people. 
People want to hire happy people. People want to hang out with happy people. And so part of this is yes, meditation, but I'm assuming that if you're here, you already have some sort of a practice. We're going to actually do a meditation at the end of our session, at the end of our time together. And I'm going to walk you through the three main obstacles that can keep you from getting the most out of your practice. But we all want to be this person, right? So I'm going to start right out of the gate with an exercise. I want you to imagine what you would love for people to say about you at your funeral. And if you have something handy to write with, or even if you want to put a note on your phone, I think this is a very valuable exercise to think about what you would love for your eulogy to be at your funeral. And that's like, you know, the big speech that's being made, the eulogy, but also what are people saying in the pews? Are they saying, man, Emily was so busy and stressed all the time. I mean, I think she did a lot of stuff. She wrote a lot of books, but she was so busy and stressed and it never felt like she had time for me. Is that what you want people saying about you at your funeral? Or would you like the eulogy to be about how you left this planet better than you found it? And do you want everyone in the pews or in nature, wherever you decide to have your funeral, talking about how, wow, Emily made me feel like I was the most important person in the world. She always had time for me. She always listened to me. She always felt like her heart was open. I always left Emily feeling better than when I came to her, right? We all, of course, want to be this person. We all know, you know, intellectually that we want to leave the planet better than we found it. We all know that we want people saying nice things about us at our funeral, but we get caught up in the overwhelm from the day to day. This is where things can get tricky when the rubber hits the road. So I actually want to give you a minute or two and write down this exercise. Just take a piece of paper, put a note in your phone, and you could say, you could call it the funeral exercise, the eulogy exercise. And I know we're not going to craft a whole speech right now, but just take one to two minutes, bullet out. I, by the time I die, I would love to have started that foundation for children. I would have loved to have created a compost in my neighborhood. I would have loved to have become an ambassador for people that aren't as privileged as I am, whatever it is for you. Right? So let's give some thought to that. And then the bonus exercise would be, what are people saying about me in the pews? How did I make them feel? I'll give you about one more minute. So it doesn't have to be a full speech. You're just bulleting out. What would I love for people to say about me at my funeral? What do I want to have contributed to this planet by the time I leave my body? And how would I love to make people feel? You're doing great. And when you feel like you've started to wrap this up, you start to feel at least the gist of it. Of like, I want to really have reversed climate change. I would love to solve the plastics issue. I would love for my company to have impacted a billion people by the time I die. Or you know what? I want my kids to get up there and say that I was the best dang mom, the best dang father that they could have ever imagined. It does not matter what your dream is. What matters is that you're clear on it. And if you have some trouble detecting what your dream is, if you have some trouble even envisioning how you want to leave this world better than you found it, stay tuned because the meditation that we're going to do at the end of our time today is going to help you to tune in, to deepen your listening so that you can really start to detect that small whisper from nature. How is nature wanting to use me to deliver my gifts to the world? Now, I have found in doing this work that when people really decide like, hey, I want to heal the world, I want to quote unquote, save the world, that they tend to fall into one of two camps. Um, and I, again, lovingly refer to one camp as the angry activists. And the other side is the love and lighters. 
Okay, so the angry activists we're probably very familiar with. This is people who are very clear on what their purpose is. They're very clear on the problems that they want to solve. And in their beautiful, very worthwhile, very admirable quest to become an activist, to solve a problem, to eradicate some flavor of suffering from the planet Earth, sometimes they inadvertently make themselves suffer. Right. And, you know, the people, the people, the angry social justice warriors, the people who are criticizing everybody else on social media. You use the wrong word one time. You're canceled. You're not doing enough. You know, they're looking for a way to criticize or attack anyone for almost anything. And they themselves are becoming exhausted, overwhelmed. And it's an unsustainable energetic exchange. Right. This is the angry activists. Now, if you were to take all of the 3D reality things out of the equation and just look at this from an energetic standpoint. Here you have a human who's looking to eradicate some form of suffering from the planet. That's why they became an activist to begin with. And yet along the road, they accidentally have made themselves suffer, right? They've accidentally started becoming miserable themselves in their attempt to alleviate others' misery. So if you strip away all of the economics, all of the environmental policy, all of the racism, all of the systemic issues, and you just look at things from an energetic standpoint, if your goal was to alleviate stress and you yourself are becoming stressed along the way, then we're just adding more fuel to the team stress fire. Now, my mission at Ziva is both to eradicate unnecessary suffering from the planet, but also to recruit as many people as possible to team bliss, right? And this is a good question. If you check in with yourself every day, do you feel like you're spending more time on team stress or team bliss, right? Because even those people out to save the world, even people who are here making a difference can sometimes accidentally be deeper on team stress than they are team bliss, right? Now let's take it all the way to the other side of the spectrum, Right. So again, we're talking about people who are wanting to leave the world better than they found it. And they're falling into two camps. One is the angry activists and the other is what I call the love and lighters. Right. So these are the folks that are like, oh, I, I don't want to talk about politics. I'm too spiritual for politics. I didn't vote because politics is too it's beneath me. Or you know what? I know that there is rampant gun violence and systemic racism and environmental catastrophe, but I'm just going to send it some love and light right? That I'm just going to post pictures of my latte on Instagram and never really take an honest look at what's going on or never really be willing to get my hands dirty in solving a problem. Now, again, if you're here, I know that you're likely not on either extreme of these camps, but I think it's important to have a delineation so that we can check in with ourselves every day and just see where am I? Am I doing a little bit of ostriching? Am I doing a little bit of sticking my head in the sand and protecting myself because my meditation practice is not giving me the resilience that I need? And so I feel like I just can't even look at that. I just can't even watch the news. I just can't even deal. So I'm just going to send it love at light and go be naked in the woods. <laughs> or am I spending my whole day consuming news, criticizing everybody else for everything they're not doing, but secretly I'm mad at myself. I'm secretly mad that I'm not doing enough. Right? So these are the pitfalls. These are the extremes that we want to avoid. And instead, what if we can start to meet in the middle? What if we can start to create an archetype for the joyful activist? Pretty cool, right? What if we can really start to celebrate and get creative of how many different flavors of joyful activism there can be?
Meaning that if you go to the soup kitchen to hand out soup, yes, you are doing a service. You are handing out soup, but you are also delivering delicious flavored consciousness. You are there delivering as much bliss as you are soup. And the cool thing here is that it doesn't matter what flavor of activism you choose. It doesn't even matter what your occupation is. If you yourself are tapping into the very source of bliss and fulfillment every morning with your meditation practice, then you could be driving a lift. You could be running a company. You could be a movie star. You could be a preacher. You could be handing out soup at the soup kitchen. And no matter what your job is, you're going to be using that as an opportunity to deliver your blissful state of consciousness to the world. So this is the thing that I would love for us to move towards, joyful activists. Yes, we're taking action. Yes, we're leaving the world better than we found it, but we're also making sure that we are cleaning our energetic house and that we ourselves are staying on team bliss. Now, please don't confuse bliss with 100% happiness, okay? It is possible to feel bliss and sadness at the same time. It is possible to feel bliss and anger at the same time. Bliss is not a synonym for happiness. Bliss is the piece of you that knows that everything is okay. Bliss is the piece of you that trusts that nature has more information than we do. Bliss is the piece of you that knows that everything is playing out as it's meant and we have a role to play. Now, what I personally have found is that as we increase our background of bliss through our daily meditation practice, we actually free ourselves up to start to feel the entire range, the entire spectrum of human emotions from ecstatic joy and, and um, happiness all the way to full blown sorrow, mourning and grieving. Now, if you don't have that background of bliss, what I find that most people do is that they inadvertently put bumpers around their heart. They inadvertently start to live their life between a four and a six. They don't get too happy. They don't get too excited because they don't want to get too disappointed. They don't want to get too uh, devastated. So they're just like four and six. Don't get too happy. Don't get too sad. I'm just going to protect myself, protect my heart. And y'all, this is not a life. This is not why we're on this planet earth. We're here to cry in the rain, to have the laughter through tears, to experience all of it. And I'm, I'm sharing this because I don't want you to take my archetype of a joyful activist. It's not my archetype, but to take the archetype of a joyful activist and accidentally say, well, this means I need to be happy all the time. There is a lot of sadness in the world. There is admittedly a lot of suffering in the world and it's okay to take an honest look at things. It's okay to take an honest assessment of how things are. But then we as meditators, we as spiritual seekers, we as people who have been subscribing to and learning from Mind Valley for many years want to take responsibility, want to recognize that we have raised our hands. We have signaled to nature that says, hey, use me. Hey, nature, I know you will anyway, but I just like hearing myself say it. Use me as a vessel to deliver my fulfillment, right? So we're doing that. And I want to give you full permission to feel your feelings along the way, to look at things honestly, to mourn what needs to be mourned, to allow the anger to motivate you towards action instead of letting it freeze you with fear, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I want to give you a framework for this. Okay. I actually want to give you a few questions that you can ask yourself if you're looking for more specificity, more clarity on how you can 
save the world, heal the world, leave this place better than you found it. And any of you who've seen my talk, I gave a talk called how to use nature as your GPS. Oh, sorry, how to use your desires as your GPS. And in it, I give a framework. So I'm gonna refresh that here. I'm gonna give you the cliff notes of that talk now. So it's three questions, right? The first question is, what is the most pressing need of the time? And if you wanna write this down and do this exercise right now, we have some time. So you just jot down, what do you personally feel is the most pressing need of the time? And that for you might be, my kid has special needs. That for you might mean, oh my gosh, no one's running for city council that I respect in my town, I'm gonna to run for office. That for you might mean reversing climate change. That might mean starting a compost in your neighborhood. Whatever it is, what do you think is the most pressing need of the time? And this can be the problem because we're gonna move towards the solution in a moment. Basically, what's the most hair on fire, urgent problem you can detect on planet Earth right now or in your life right now? And you can write a few. And now question number two, which of my gifts best serves that need? So question number one, what's the most pressing need of the time? And the second question, which of my gifts best serves that need? So you might want to make a list of a few gifts that you have. Tap dancing, singing, teaching meditation, spreadsheets, being an executive assistant, teaching kids, growing plants, whatever gifts you have, make a few lists of them and then I'm gonna make a list of it and then circle the one that feels like, oh, this particular gift could serve the need that feels most urgent to me right now. Y'all are doing great. Thank you for going on this journey. And as Vishen was saying earlier, sometimes we're trained not to brag on ourselves. Sometimes we're, we're trained in this false humility. But right now I'm asking you to brag. What are your gifts? If you were to put me and you in a room, what would you be better at than me? Ping pong, bowling, sports, coaching sports teams, math, whatever your gifts are. Let's hear them. And then the final question in this framework, which of these gifts would I love to use right now? Which of these gifts that could potentially serve the need of the time, which of these gifts would I love to use right now? And you can spend some more time with this after today. This would be a good thing to journal on tonight. But if you come to one answer right now, this might go back and impact your funeral exercise. If you're really clear that you would like to use your gift of teaching meditation to help uplevel the state of consciousness of the planet to help climate change, then you might have a much clearer picture of what you want people saying about you at your funeral. If you would love to use your parenting skills to change the state of consciousness of the kids in your neighborhood uh, because you want your children to feel so safe in their sense of community, then you might have a clearer sense of what you want people saying about you at your funeral. You can spend one more minute on this, just looking at these three questions, seeing if anything is surprising to you as you allow nature to work through you right now. Really good. So we spent a lot of time so far talking about how we can have a ball while saving the world, right? How we can actually feel our best while making our lives and the world even better. Now, one final thing I wanna say about this before I move on to some meditation tips that are gonna help you do that. I want to 
just share this framework, something I've been thinking about a lot lately, is that we as humans are very attracted to and drawn to people who are connected to source energy. I actually have this new hypothesis that we're all searching for God through each other. It's why we all fell in love with Prince as an artist. It's why Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, was at the top of the New York Times for 38 weeks, because there's something that they've developed. There's some special way that they have found to really connect to that source energy. By the way, I'm obsessed with Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I've read it 10 times, and I think she's a living prophet. It feels like when she writes, it feels like God is speaking through her. And by the way, if the G word scares you, I'll share my working definition of it. I would define God as the collective consciousness of all that is. I personally define God as the collective consciousness of all that is. It is that universal creative intelligence. And we all have access to it. You don't have to be Prince or Cher or Glennon Doyle in order to access it. It's available to all of us. And the thing is that many of us are using only our left brain. We're staying in our waking state, stressy, individual, small self, small ego self, instead of really committing to an everyday, twice a day meditation practice, which allows us to access our right brain. And y'all, our right brain is the place where we get the downloads from nature. Our right brain is like the router that connects us to the Wi-Fi network that is creativity itself. And so if you're meditating every day, twice a day, you are strengthening your connection with the divine. You're strengthening your connection with the source energy. And the cool thing here is that if that conversation is happening in both directions, you communicating to nature and nature communicating to you, one, it's going to make your work irresistible to other people. Because again, I think we're all looking for God through each other. The Ram Dass quote, we're all just walking each other home. Well, where is home? right? Home is actually back to this creative intelligence, back to this universal everythingness. And when we get so stressed, when we get so in our left brain, so in our ego, we get further and further away from that source and we actually become less and less attractive to other people. People don't want to be around that because it feels so separate. We're all hungry for unity. When you fall in love with someone, you're actually falling in love with yourself. You're falling in love with the divinity inside of them which is really the divinity inside of you. And so when we start to develop a daily meditation practice, we start taking this right brain to the gym, we're exercising this router that plugs us into the Wi-Fi network, which is creativity itself, and these downloads start coming more regularly. Your writing is gonna be more inspired, your speaking will be more channeled, your romantic relationships will feel more um, unifying. Your arguments might even feel more unifying because you cannot help but see more of yourself inside of others right? So of course, it's going to be easier for us to have a ball while saving the world if we have a daily, twice a day practice. And that is why I wanted to leave you not only with a meditation, but also with some pro tips. I'm going to walk you through the top three obstacles that I see coming up for people um, when I teach them how to meditate on their own so that when we do our practice together today, and when you go to meditate on your own after this, you don't feel like a meditation failure. Okay, so quick, just Cliff's notes on Ziva. So Ziva Online, um, which is like my most popular training, I teach a trifecta of mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. Okay, mindfulness, which is really good at handling your stress in the now. 
meditation, which is really good at getting rid of your stress from the past, and manifesting, which is all about creating your dreams for the future. And Vishen touched on some of these as he was going through the six phase meditation. And now I'm going to just, I'm just explaining the Ziva philosophy to you so that you'll have a framework for these challenges, these obstacles that I find keep a lot of people feeling stuck, a lot of people feeling like meditation failures. And these are the reason why a lot of people quit prematurely. Okay. So three things that happen most commonly during the mind of a meditator. Um, well, the first one, this is like a bonus round. This is not one of the three, but this just, we got to clear this up before we go in. A lot of people, when they sit down to meditate, they think that the point is to get good at meditation. Like we were saying, and they think that that means clearing the mind. There's like one yoga teacher out there telling everybody that in order to meditate, we got to clear our minds and y'all, we have to find them and we have to teach them how to meditate. The mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. This is really important. If you only remember one thing from this entire 50 minute session, let it be this. The mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. Okay. So trying to give your brain a command to shut up is as impactful as trying to give your heart a command to stop beating. It does not work. So let's stop using it as the marker for success. Okay. Cause if you think you're supposed to magically be able to clear your mind, this is what your meditation is going to look like. All right, brain, shut up. I sure would like a snack. Oh no. Now I'm thinking about snacks. I suck at meditation. I quit. And that's the beginning and the end of your career. And that doesn't feel fun. None of us want to do anything that we feel like we're failing at. So just know that if you've ever felt like your brain was too crazy, that you had too much ADD, that you were too busy worrying about work or your ex in order to meditate, you can let yourself off the hook. You're not a meditation failure. I promise you can do it. It just takes some training and the right tools. Now, speaking of the right tools, a lot of people are using monastic forms of meditation and trying to do it even when they're not a monk. Okay. Now, what does that mean? In India, you're either a monk or you're what we call a householder. And if you're a monk, you likely know it by the time you're seven. Okay. And that means you don't want to have sex with other people. That means you are reclusive by nature. And if you are reclusive by nature, living in a cave with your guru, you can have a different style of meditation. You can actually afford to do a gentler style of meditation than someone that has three kids and a job. Now, a lot of us have fetishized monks and fetishized monastic practices, but I actually think that if you're not a monk, if you have a job, a busy mind, a busy life, you need a style of meditation that is even more powerful, that is going to give your body deep healing rest so that you can show up as the most amazing version of you for your kids, for your job, for your life. Okay. And that's the, the style of meditation that I'm going to be talking about in Ziva meditation. It's made for people with busy minds and busy lives. And that's the framework that I'm going to give you of these three obstacles that people face. So the first thing that can happen, people think it's an obstacle, but it's actually correct. And I call it the thought train. Okay. And it looks a little something like this. You sit down, you close your eyes, you pick up whatever technique that you're using. Maybe you're focusing on your breath. Maybe you're doing six phase. Maybe you're doing the M word. Maybe you're doing Ziva online, whatever your technique is that's at the forefront. You're using the techniques and then they slip away. And then your mind is off to the races. You start on what I call the thought train. Oh, I forgot to get eggs. Oh, my dog is barking and I'm going live. I wonder if people can hear the dog barking. Oh, it's my son's birthday tomorrow and I didn't get a present. 
uh-oh, right? And this is actually a-okay. You are allowed to be on the thought train provided that you never realize that you're off. Okay, so thoughts are not the enemy of meditation. Effort is. So if you pick up your technique, at least at Ziva, okay, and it slips away, and then your mind is off on a train of thinking, this is correct, this is allowed, provided that you never have the thought, what was I doing again? Oh, right, I think I was meditating. If you realize that you're off the technique and you choose to stay off, that moves you into contemplation. And that is incorrect. Okay, contemplating is like choosing to finish the email to your ex, choosing to do your tax codes instead of gently coming back to the technique. Okay, so the first one is thought train. People think it's incorrect, but it's actually a-okay to have thoughts. Now we're gonna get to the really fun one, the second one, which is the party. Okay. Now in this example, you sit down, you close your eyes, you start your practice and you perhaps you're focusing on your breath at Ziva. We use something called a mantra or a mind vehicle. And then you've got these other thoughts going on at the same time. And what we want to do here, if you've got thoughts and your technique happening simultaneously, you want to treat this like a party. Now, what do I mean? I mean that at a party, you're going to have a guest of honor. You're likely going to go to a party with a date or it's someone's birthday. There's a guest of honor and whatever your technique is, wants to be the thing that you're holding in the forefront of your awareness. But here's the trick in order for it to be a party, there have to be other guests there, right? So you're allowed to have invited guests, uninvited guests, some of the people you're going to enjoy, some of the people you're not going to enjoy, but everyone's allowed to be there because it's a party. Now, here's the really important part point. Your job is to be the host of the party, not the bouncer. Okay. Your job is to be the host of the meditation party, not the bouncer. This means that you're innocently favoring your technique. You're innocently favoring your breath or the visualization or the mantra, whatever the tool is, but you're not going up to all the other guests and punching them in the face and kicking them out of the party. Cause that's not very nice, right? They're actually going to go get the cops and they're going to come back or they're going to get their friends and be like, Hey, this meditation lady punched me in the face and kicked me out. Right? So, if you're going into your brain and trying to kick all the thoughts out that aren't the technique, you're going to accidentally create more and more thoughts, more and more frustration. And again, thoughts are not the enemy of meditation. Effort is. And if you're punching all those thoughts in the face, you're using a lot of effort. You're also feeling like a failure. And again, you're likely going to quit. So instead of being the bouncer, Instead, be a great host. Make sure that your guest of honor has a drink, has some snacks. Make sure they're not being cornered by weird people, but allow everyone to be there. Enjoy being a good host. Okay, one final thing, and then we're going to actually meditate together. Um, so the last thing that can happen is that people oftentimes think that they're falling asleep. Right. So I can't see the comments right now, but if you've ever felt like you were falling asleep in a meditation, just put that in the comments and hopefully I'll be able to solve that for you right now. So a lot of people, somebody like, I'm like, I want to meditate. I've tried it at a studio. I've tried the app, but halfway through I fall asleep. But at Ziva, I want to give you a fun tip at Ziva. This is like this move. It's like a classic trademark move of Ziva meditators. This is great posture for us. Now it does not look good on Instagram, but it feels amazing because in Ziva meditation, you're giving your body rest that is five times deeper than sleep. 
And that's a really important point, right? Because if you're giving your body the rest that it needs, it knows how to heal itself. And we're healing not only from the stress from today, but all our stress from the past. We're going in and getting rid of the, store, the stress stored in our cellular memory so that we can start to perform at the top of our game, right? It's why this style of meditation gives you a return on your time investment. But if you feel like you're falling asleep, you're likely going to quit. So if this, you know, weevil wobble head move is happening to you, but you're still coming out at the end of your guided app, or if you're still coming out at the time that you assigned yourself, and if you're not drooling, and if you don't actually fall out of the chair, this is likely still meditation. You're likely going into what I call the bliss field. Okay, and the bliss field is a verifiable fourth state of consciousness. It's different than waking, sleeping, or dreaming. When I say verifiable fourth state of consciousness, I mean that the right and left hemispheres of your brain actually start to function in unison. This is part of why this thing can really help you to save the world and have a ball, because our right brain is the way that nature is going to be downloading to us how it wants to use us, how nature would like to use us to heal the world. Okay, so quick clips notes review, three things that can happen to folks. One is the thought train, right? The technique slips away, but you're having thoughts. It's really easy to think you're failing. Please know you're not failing. You're allowed to have thoughts. The second one is the party. That is your technique and thoughts happening at the same time. And now instead of being the bouncer, I'm inviting you to be the host. And then the third thing that can happen is that you think you're falling asleep, but now I've given you some parameters to check yourself. It's sleep if you fall out of the chair and you're drooling. But if you're just doing the weeble wobbles, Eva head bob, you may actually be falling into a beautiful fourth state of consciousness, which is going to help you heal the world and have a ball while you're doing it. Okay, so thank you for going on that journey with me. That was plenty of talking at you. I know you've already been drinking from the fire hose. So let's dive in and meditate together. Let's create some spaciousness in our hearts, in our bodies, in our minds, so that we can really digest all of the knowledge and wisdom that we've gained so far, give our bodies some deep rest and be ready for the next session, to be ready for the next three days of magic that you have in store for you. Okay, so to begin, I would like you to start with 10 really full belly breaths. And I'm gonna use my hands as an illustrating, illustrating tool. I'm gonna invite you to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth, all the while keeping your jaw and your lips really relaxed. So we're gonna move through a bit of a sampler platter. We're gonna to touch on the three M's of the Ziva technique. Now I can't teach you the whole thing in this one hour talk. So if you're ever interested in learning more, you can always go to zivameditation.com slash mindvalley, and you can find some special tools there just for the Mindvalley crew. Actually, I'm gifting you the first three days of something really special. Okay, so we're gonna start with our back supported, our head free. With Ziva, we don't need any fancy fingers. You don't have to have a fully erect spine. Um, it's just ease, effortlessness. Ziva is actually the lazy meditation. So see how lazy you can be for the next few minutes that we have together. So we're going to take a few breaths, inhaling through the nose, exhale through the mouth. Really good. In through the nose, out through the mouth. With each inhale, you're deepening your breath. And with each exhale, you're softening the muscles in your body. We're gonna do six more.
breathing all the way into your pelvis. This time you can sigh out on some sound. <sighs> really good. Inhaling all the way down into your toes. Exhaling on a sigh. <sighs> You're doing awesome. Inhaling. <sighs> These last two, breathe into your heart. Final one, let this be the biggest inhale you've taken all day. And sighing out. All the way to empty. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and close your eyes if you haven't already. Again, sitting with your back supported, but your head free. We're going to move through a few of our senses to ground ourselves fully in this present moment. We're going to bring ourselves into the right brain and into the right now. So I invite you to listen for all of the sounds that you can detect around you. The sound of my voice. Perhaps you can hear the fan on your computer or traffic outside. And this is a beautiful opportunity to remind ourselves that thoughts are not the enemy of meditation, effort is. Sound is also not the enemy of meditation. Meditation will not make you deaf. As a matter of fact, it may feel like you have spidey senses as you do this. You may have hyper-awareness. So instead of trying to focus or trying to push anything away, instead of inviting you to pull the lens of your awareness out and include and accept all of the sounds you can detect right now. And now listening for the most subtle sound you can detect. Perhaps you could hear your own breath. Or perhaps there's birds chirping in a tree far away. Again, there's no right or wrong, no good or bad sounds. We're simply noticing what's the most prevalent and the most subtle. Really good. And now even with the eyes closed, I invite you to see what you're seeing. prevalence of the blackness. The subtlety of the light streaming through the computer and through your eyelids. And now ever so gently, I invite you to bring your awareness to your sense of touch. Imagining that every single hair on your skin is like an antenna and it's communicating to your heart and to your mind all of the tactile sensations happening on your body. Noticing the most prevalent sense of touch and the most subtle. Feeling your clothes against your skin, the air as it moves in and out of the nostrils. Really good, and now ever so gently, I'm gonna invite you to move one layer deeper inside yourself. So we just checked in with our sense of feeling on the surface, and now I'm inviting you to go deeper and ask yourself, how am I feeling in my heart? How am I feeling in my soul? 
really, truly, honestly, no brave face, no hiding, no pretending. It's just me and myself. How am I feeling? And if there's any sadness, know that you're allowed to be sad. If there's some anger that's been shoved down, know that you are allowed to rage. This is about accepting what is. If you're feeling enthusiastic and joyous, you're allowed to be excited. Whatever is true for you right now, just noticing what that feels like. Where in your body do you feel the most prevalent emotion? If there's some FOMO about other sessions, it's creating anxiety, you might have some pitter patter in your heart. If there's a pain in your knee, you can lean right into the center of the most prevalent sensation and breathe right into it. Being willing to be surprised, letting your body, your heart, your soul communicate things that it might've been hiding, that it may have been repressing, just taking a moment to listen, to check in. How am I feeling? Reminding yourself that you're safe to feel all of it and that all of you is welcome here. Knowing that it's very hard to be a joyful activist if we are repressing our emotions. So we're using this time to allow anything that needs to come up and out to come up and out. And on your next inhale, I invite you to breathe some spaciousness into that space in your body where that emotion was feeling the hottest. And as you exhale, let it move through you. Let that feeling dissipate. One more breath, breathing into your chest or your belly or your hands, wherever the sensation was happening for you. Really good. Exhaling, imagining it breaking up and being dissolved and metabolized into your body. And from this space of honesty, of this, from this space of integration, I invite you to think of three things that you're grateful for. We already learned about the power of gratitude that can be fertilizer for our dreams. So right now, thinking of three things that bring a smile to your face and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And now from this space of integration and gratitude, I invite you to wave a magic wand over not only your life, but also planet Earth. So I'm talking, you have the biggest, most powerful magical wand you could imagine, and you could wave it over planet earth and any problem could be solved. Any crisis could be averted. You're talking about your dreamscape. People are happy. People are nice to each other. Children are safe. People are living in wild states of ecstatic joy. What does your version of that look like? People literally skipping as they walk down the street, whistling while they work, enjoying being generous, a full-blown utopia on planet Earth. Imagine your version of that. 
Imagine a world with all of the children being fed, no wars, flowers on every street corner. Climate change has been fully reversed. And now imagine you could wave a magic wand over your life. You are living your absolute best life. You are full of bliss and joy and generosity and ecstasy. You're more abundant, hotter, happier, having better sex and living a life of more contribution than you've ever thought possible before. What does that look like for you? Taking a moment to breathe that reality into every cell in your body. And as you exhale, letting go of any limiting beliefs, anything keeping you from moving towards that dream. Really good. So starting to breathe some life into your hands, breathing some life into your feet, giving yourself a huge high five for saying yes to this summit, a huge high five for saying yes to this session, congratulating yourself for being brave enough to live into your vision, knowing that there is no time to argue with other people. There is no time to speculate about the worst case scenario. Instead, we can use our mental and physical energy to dream into a world that we would love to live in and to take action towards that world. And in your own time, whenever you're ready, you can start to slowly open the eyes and give yourself a huge high five. Thank you, thank you, thank you for going on this journey with me. Thank you for being willing to raise your hand and saying, yes, nature, use me. Use me to help me leave this world better than I found it. And also, I want to have a ball while I'm doing it. I love you. I love you. I love you. I am so honored to be a part of this Mind Valley community. And if you'd like to learn more from me, if you'd like to have the first three days of my most popular training, you can head to zivameditation.com slash mind valley. I'm Vishen Lakiani and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.